1: In America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do.
4: It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director
1: of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something.
4: This isn't a game.
5: This is real life. Cindy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio
1: talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for.
4: Was this lie material to the FBI's investigation. That's something that jurors had to find out. Apparently they think that he did not lie to the FBI, or maybe it wasn't material. We're getting those details now. I'm getting texts right now from our uh, justice producer, Jake Gibson, who is inside the building behind me. But Michael Sussman, the Clinton campaign lawyer, indicted in special counsel John Durham's probe last September of 2021, not guilty for a charge of lying to the FBI. Harris, to give everyone just a backstory, we've been reporting this for about two weeks. So Michael Sussman was a Clinton campaign attorney in September 2016. He texted the FBI general counsel, James Baker, who happened to be a friend of his on a Sunday night on his personal phone, essentially said that he had some information that he wanted to meet with Baker as soon as possible at FBI headquarters. The next day on September 19th, 2016, Michael Sussman walked down the street here in Washington into the FBI headquarters and met with James Baker. In that meeting, he relayed information about an alleged secret back channel between the Trump Organization and a Russian bank called Alpha Bank, which had ties to the Kremlin. Now, the question is not if those allegations were true, because the FBI quickly investigated Harris and everyone, and we found out those were not true. They were completely debunked. The question, did Michael Sussman lie? Because in the text message, he told James Baker, and this is text message evidence that jurors saw, he was coming in on behalf of himself as a concerned citizen, not on behalf of a client, for example, the Hillary Clinton campaign. The question is, what did he say to James Baker at the FBI when they met? Because James Baker didn't take any notes. Michael Sussman didn't take any notes. The meeting lasted for 30 minutes. They were the only two in the meeting. And special counsel John Durham with the government, who's been investigating the origins of the Trump-Russia narrative for three years, said and showed the jury he has three hours billed to the Clinton campaign from Michael Sussman that specific day that he met at the FBI. Ultimately, though, jurors thought that that evidence was not strong enough. And Harris, if I may add, we've spoken to several legal experts, Jonathan Turley, Andy McCarthy, Jim Trusty, all on Fox News, who have said that they would not be shocked if Michael Sussman was acquitted simply because... You have a D.C. jury.
1: All right, Sandy Rios with you. This is a huge story. And it really just isn't about Michael Sussman. It's it, it, This is his trial. He was just acquitted, uh, and that's unfortunate. And we're going to talk more about the details of that, what, what the jury was, why this happened, how unjust, uh, duh, what else is new in Washington, D.C. But I want to give you the big picture here because <laughs> this is really interesting to me. This all originated with one person, and her name is Hillary Clinton. And when I say this, what am I talking about? I'm not talking about just Michael Sussman. I'm talking about the destruction, not only of Donald Trump's presidency, the undermining, the ruining, the slowing down, the cog in the wheels of the destructive process that was the four years that Donald Trump served. As president, the obstruction that kept him from actually doing all the things he wanted to do, stopping him at every level, this boiled down to his opponent in the presidential race, Hillary Clinton. But of course, Hillary Clinton is not new to the scene. She didn't just show up. Uh, She's been busy since she was a graduate of college. I think it was Dartmouth that she went to. Her her story is incredible. But let me just say, Hillary Clinton has a, a pattern of creating and fabricating these fantastical lies. I've tracked this for years. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. This goes back to when Bill Clinton was first president. Hillary Clinton was in the middle. No, remember, she's just first lady. She crafted this elaborate lie about the couple that ran the travel office in the White House, that they were extorting money, that they were doing all these illegal things, none of which were true, but they ended up in disgrace having to resign. And why did she do that? Because she had some buddies who were into the travel industry in Arkansas, and she wanted to bring them in, so that's one big lie that i that was one of the first times I understood how what, what a liar she was and then of course, she went on to be uh, the liar who crafted all these um accusations against the women that Bill Clinton was involved with. Uh, she was the one who created the bimbo list and uh, it led the the charge to discredit Monica Lewinsky, which kind of got ran short because they found the blue dress with Bill Clinton's uh, you know matter on the dress. Uh, but that was her whole thing. She was in. The, she was orchestrating the destruction of every single woman that accused her husband. Uh, so she. And then the. the now I'll do, to give you another lie that she constructed, and that's the whole Benghazi horrific stuff that happened in Benghazi, and she crafted the lie that this was because of a video produced by some obscure producer in California who did a, did a cartoon-like video criticizing the prophet, uh, the prophet Muhammad. It was laughable, and yet it worked, uh, and it thwarted the investigation, and so Miss, uh, you know, I hate to tell you my nickname for her, so I won't. There's a famous woman in Revelation who doesn't have a real name, but she has a moniker, and you can just let your imagination go. But uh, we know Hillary Clinton is at the bottom of this destruction because it came out in this Sussman trial. Uh, um, Remember that John Durham has been uh, leading this investigation as a special counsel for three years, and this trial actually revealed to us exactly what happened and how it happened. Never mind that Sussman got off. That's horrible, horrendous. I'm upset about it, but now we know, uh, thanks to John Durham, about the inside works and how this happened. Robbie Mook, who was a a Clinton campaign uh, chairman, actually confessed on the stand that it was Hillary Clinton who orchestrated this lie about uh, President Trump's involvement with Russia. He lays it out. He talks about how she created the whole thing, and then uh, she ends up being the one who leads in the tweet uh, right before the election in October about how uh, we have proof now that uh, President Trump is involved with Russia through this Alpha Bank connection. All of it fabricated, fabricated through the, the help of the guy named, who was an expert in the technical name, Rodney Jaff. Uh, Jaff, uh, she orchestrated that whole nonsense that Trump was connected to Russia. She did the whole thing. And I'll just give you an example if I can find it here. This was her tweet in Halloween of 2016. Hillary Clinton tweeted, Computer scientists have apparently uncovered a covert server linking the Trump organization to a Russian-backed bank. Then she included a lengthy statement from campaign advisor Jake Sullivan, who's now Joe Biden's national security advisor, titled... This is his report, Jake Sullivan, now President Joe Biden's National Security Advisor. The, the report is titled, New Report Exposing Trump's Secret Line of Communication to Russia. And then she goes, uh, Clint, Sullivan goes on to say, this could be the most direct link yet between Donald Trump and Moscow. This secret hotline may be the key to unlocking the mysteries of Trump's ties to Russia. So this was on Halloween of 2016, right before the November election, when uh, this was broken. This was like the October surprise. In fact, the prosecutors in um, Sussman's trial actually said that. This was the October surprise. What that means in political terms is you think of something horrible to accuse your opponent of at the last minute so that the news cycle goes crazy with it. And, of course, uh, American media was happy to go crazy with it, didn't check any of this stuff, not only the ridiculous lies of the uh, the Trump dossier, which I have to say to you again, if you listen to me, uh, if you've been listening for a long time, you know that when that story broke about the dossier, I read the dossier and I told you this is ridiculous. This is made up stupidity. This is like the stuff of tabloids. What you can tell on face value, this is a lie, and yet the media reported it like it was true. And they nearly destroyed, and you could argue did destroy, certainly, Trump's presidency. He was able to do um, so many things in spite of it. It's really remarkable. But destroyed their family, their family business, uh, and it was all at the orchestration of Hillary Clinton. So don't think, uh, in spite of the horrors of uh, Sussman uh, being uh, declared not guilty, that we did not learn something. And this is not over. This is the first trial that John Durham has brought with the evidence that he's collected. Now, I want to get into Sussman's trial a little bit because remember that uh, this trial had to take place in D.C. because that's where the crime was committed. And the crime, well, I'm not going to even go into that, but this is what we're up against in D.C. Greg Jarrett explains it well, clip three.
6: What I worry about in this case, because Baker's the star witness against Sussman, and he blew a hole in the defense. So now Sussman really has no defense whatsoever, but he can still uh, get an acquittal. How? Because it's Washington, D.C., Sean, uh, where overwhelmingly the registered voters are Democrat. In the last presidential election, 92 percent voted for Joe Biden, a scant 5 percent cast ballots, Uh, for Donald Trump. And sure enough, during jury selection, what did we find of the vast panel of of potential jurors? They're all Hillary Clinton supporters, even donors, and they universally loathe Donald Trump, which is exactly why the defense asked the judge to tell the jury, oh, by the way, uh, the defendant was fighting against Donald Trump. So they're worried. Durham's worried about jury nullification. That is to say that jurors will simply ignore the evidence, the facts and the law and perversely acquit an innocent person. They have unfettered power to in, in, enjoy jury nullification. They've done it before in Washington, D.C.
1: Yes. And so that's exactly what they did do. And the jury did ignore all the evidence. And Jonathan Turley tweeted this. I mean, He says, I mean, he is facing a jury that has three Clinton donors, an AOC donor, and a woman whose daughter is on the same sports team with Sussman's daughter. With the exception of randomly selected people out of the DNC headquarters, you could not come up with a worse jury. And then I want to also remind you, Christopher Cooper, who was the judge in this, Uh, who presided over the Sussman case uh, was an acquaintance with Sussman they went to school together the judge's wife has represented former FBI lawyer Lisa Page she's the one who was the lover of uh, uh, Peter Strzok who went back and forth about how they were going to get rid of Trump Trump. so his wife represents Lisa Page although uh, uh, John Durham for whatever reason did not push for the judge's recusal recusal trying to hurry here Cooper was appointed by President Barack Obama following a unanimous Senate confirmation. He and his wife were married already in 1999, and Merrick Garland, now the Attorney General, offici- officiated their wedding. Uh, the uh, judge, you know, was active with the trial. He limited the evidence that Durham had that the, that the Alpha Bank data was not only did Sussman lie about it; it was inaccurate data, It wasn't even true. But they weren't. He, the judge prevented the uh, Durham team from presenting that evidence. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have broken down, uh, our courts are so corrupt, and it's a very dangerous situation. Uh, it means that there will be no justice. You know, I was watching uh, last night, Bruce and I were watching this documentary on George Washington, and the British, as they were planning on uh, trying to destroy George Washington in those early, uh, year, the year, early year of the war, uh, tried to take down Philadelphia, because that, that at the time was the capital, and they felt it would... Uh, it would um, uh, it would discourage the troops and be such a blow to the heart of the uh, of that young country uh, that that would be the strike that they wanted to, to the blow they wanted to strike. And I thought to myself, this was my thought. I thought, you know, if some foreign power came in and wanted to take out Washington D.C. right now, I actually think I'm not listen, I'm not advocating murder. Don't misunderstand. I know how people think. They must they twist this stuff i'm just talking about in theory get rid of washington dc whatever it means the rest of the country actually would be better off that's the cesspool that is the cesspool that's the the generation of all of this stuff Uh, of course it's bleeding out in california new york but honestly if the states had autonomy uh we would be in a much better situation isn't that ironic i don't think we would be discouraged i think maybe we might be feel free Uh, because Washington is so completely corrupt. And I'm going to come back to this after our next segment, because our next segment is also very, very important. It's about the move to restrict our rights to exercise the Second Amendment right of bearing arms. Uh, And it's uh, in the notion of red flag laws. What are they and how will they affect you? Sandy Rios in The Morning, AFR Talk.
6: So there's this couple named Kyle and Katie, and they were excited. They were expecting their third child And then they got some really bad news. Their unborn baby desperately needed surgery in utero. They had switched the way they pay their health care bills from health insurance to MediShare. So they were wondering, is this going to work? It's
3: a life and it's my son's life. And, you know, we should all be doing anything
0: we can for that. Kyle knew they were looking at a mountain of medical bills. And of that, I had to pay almost nothing.
1: We felt like MediShare was rallying behind us, almost like family.
6: MediShare is a community of Christians who care about people like Kyle and Katie, and little Liam, who is now a happy little boy who loves to play outside with his
0: brother and sister. You know, Liam's around because of that.
7: We'll always remember.
6: Find out how you can save $500 a month or more on your health care. Call 833-44-BIBLE. That's 833-44-BIBLE. 833-44-BIBLE.
1: This is Pause to Pray. A chance to
2: stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders.
0: Today, we pray for Deb Holland, United States Secretary of the Interior. She oversees management and conservation of our country's federal land and natural resources. Genesis 1-1 reminds us that the earth is truly God's creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together.
3: Almighty God. We ask you to guide Deb Holland in her role as United States Secretary of the Interior. We ask this in Jesus'
0: name. Amen.
1: Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we are joining together to pray the vote. Details at
2: pausetopray.org.
5: Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Are you looking for a university that provides a quality Christian education with excellent academic and athletic programs? Well, I want to invite you to visit Liberty University, where they offer multiple visiting opportunities to fit your schedule. Plan a visit to their Central Virginia campus and stay for an afternoon, a day, or an entire weekend. You can also take a virtual tour from the comfort of your own home. Plan your visit today by texting Visit to the number 49596. Again, that's Go Visit to the number 49596. Major League Baseball is dealing with its own Colin Kaepernick situation. Gabe Kapler, the manager of the San Francisco Giants, says he will no longer come out for the national anthem, says he doesn't feel comfortable about the direction of the country. Kapler's decision comes just days after a Texas government slaughtered 19 children and two adults while police stood down for nearly an hour. Kapler unleashed on a blog post wondering whether the United States is the land of the free and the home of the brave. The truth is, we are the land of the free, and Mr. Campler is free to be thoroughly misinformed. You see, the problem in our nation is not the guns. There are plenty of laws on the books. The problem is, the laws are not enforced. Now, it's okay to have a dissenting opinion, but at least take the time to make sure it's an informed dissenting opinion. Otherwise, you're just popping off like a foul ball. By the way, my new book, Culture Jihad, How to Stop the Left from Killing a Nation, you can get a copy right now at toddstarns.com
0: Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Thank you to
8: all of the military personnel, United States, who have made the ultimate sacrifice as to why we have a Memorial Day. But what a horrible thing on this beautiful day that we're supposed to commemorate the people who have gave us the freedom here in the United States to only lose it by mass shooting after mass shooting and shootings throughout Chicago. Over 40 killed, excuse me, shot and over six killed this weekend so far. We have uh, super ultra-liberal, uh, far-to-the-leftist politicians who are consistently destroying our cities. It's now spreading into our suburbs, our states, and now the United States. And these are just the type of things that we we continue to do every single week and every you know year. And we're saying this, non-s- this nonsense has to stop. And until we get effective leaders within these positions to revitalize these distressed neighborhoods and be honest, be real. Like here in Chicago, we have black-on-black crime, we have brown-on-brown crime, and yes, we have white people doing things. Things as well. But we need someone who's going to take the position and say, you guys need to cut this out. And if you don't do it, this is the accountability and this is what we're going to do to you. It's not happening here. It's not happening. You know, I came from L.A. as a police officer, and now I'm in Chicago, where I grew up, and I came from uh, not so good of an area, but my parents were there to instill things of, hey, you don't take things that's not for me, you don't go killing around and stabbing people. you know. But this is just a new generation of, of youth coming up nowadays without those parents and without those mentors to give them that. So this is what's taking place. But when you don't have that accountability, it goes back to that, when you don't have that accountability and you have a distressed government service and system, city council within these cities, nothing's going to change. So we are going to keep coming back to these things, and it's very sad. Police is not the answer. Um, Counselors coming out there and doing different things, they're not the answer. We need parents to take accountability for their children. And we need the mayor and everyone else, to the chief of police, to act and arrest. These individuals need to be arrested. Kim Fox, the, the state's attorney here, she needs to do her job and keep these individuals within jail and into prison if that's what they are supposed to be doing, you know? But that's not taking place here.
1: All right, that's Keith Thornton. He's a police dispatcher in Chicago. And, of course, he's uh, pleading what others are pleading. President Trump said something similar at the NRA. It's a family life. It's the breakdown of families. It's the last lack, of, lack of discipline. It's the lack of enforcing the laws that are on the books. Uh, but the point that he made that maybe wasn't made as clearly as I'd like to make it, and that is that violent crime is surging in cities where there are strong gun laws, cities like a Chicago. Philadelphia, New York, over the weekend, Memorial Day weekend, 15 people were killed in Philadelphia. Uh, And in uh, Chicago, nine were killed and 47 people injured. There were 19 shootings in New York, five dead and 18 injured, and I could go on. Uh, And these cities have the strongest gun laws in our country. And yet, the solution to the shooting in Uvalde for politicians is more gun laws, more restraints, on owning guns. And that's why I've asked Nikki Gosar to join us this morning. Nikki is the executive director of Crime Prevention Research Center. Often John Lott, who's such a good friend for such a long time, is my guest. He's the founder of this, and Nikki is now his new executive director. Uh, And she has written this terrific article in Real, Real Clear Politics about red flag laws and unintended consequences. And honestly, it's got such great stuff in it. I hope we can get 99% 99% of it in, and we're going to try. Nikki, thanks for joining me this morning.
7: Thank you for having me
1: on. Hey, all right. So, um, Nikki, uh, the, everybody seems to be like gathering around these red flag laws. And in fact, As you point out in your article, Rick Scott, who is now a senator when he was governor of Florida, uh, was in favor of red flag laws. And I I hear Adam Kinzinger, the congressman, sort of not necessarily talking about red flag laws, but more more gun restrictions. So the, the Democrats are united on this red flag law concept, but Republicans are beginning to come around too. And that's alarming, and we need to make the case why. What are red flag laws?
7: Uh, red flag laws are, you know, basically what people also call an extreme risk protection order. And, uh, you know, it's, yeah, it's concerning that so many Republicans are now starting to cave to this. I actually testified before Congress last year uh, opposing red flag laws. Um, and let me tell you, you why. Number one, it's unconstitutional, there's no due process. You don't, you know, it's done ex parte, you don't even know there's a hearing. You're not there for the hearing. You don't get to plead your case to the judge. You you don't get mental health experts involved at all. Um, you have no legal representation. And, you know, all the judge sees is a, a written complaint. And he decides, okay, well, um, I'm going to, you know, send the police out and have them take away this person's gun. And it could be a It could be a false complaint. It could be somebody, you know, seeking revenge, someone who's angry with you, an ex. It could be even a stalker, somebody that wants to make sure you are absolutely helpless. And I gave myself as an example, um, you know, in this opinion piece, You know, my husband, Ben, was murdered in front of me back in 2009. He was murdered in front of me by a man who was stalking me. And we were totally helpless, you know couldn't I couldn't defend Ben or myself, and yeah, I was depressed, yeah, I had nightmares. I think that's normal. Um, I think just about anybody can understand that now, was I suicidal, did I want to kill myself? no, but I, i'm I'm just being honest. I mean, when I would go to bed at night, I would think to myself, "You know what? if the good Lord wants to take me in the middle of the night?" I'm okay with that because this is really, really difficult. But you can understand how someone may misinterpret that. And it could be someone very well meaning, you know, a family member, a friend thinks, gosh, you know, Nikki's really depressed and we know that she owns guns. And then what would that do to someone like me?
1: You know, so in other words, if they reported, if they reported, a- a, fav- a family member wrote and said, "Nikki has lost her husband. She's depressed and she has guns, and I'm concerned. I think they need to be taken away." So the way this works is, the judge would take them away, and you wouldn't have any time in court. Is that right? What what would be your rights in that case? Can you make? Can you push back? Can you? What would happen to you? Oh,
7: it, you would have to <laughs> you would have to hire an attorney, and it could cost you know upward of ten thousand dollars and take months and months and months and you may never get your guns back. You know? Um, if, red flag laws are very concerning to me. I think they can do more damage to people. Um, you know, if, if you're truly concerned that someone is suicidal, uh, simply taking away their guns is not a serious response. I mean, there are, let's face it, there are a lot of ways that you can kill yourself. Uh, mental health needs to be a focus in this country. We've got a, a real problem in this country, and we don't fund uh, mental
1: health Yes, give uh, uh,
7: actual help.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about that. Can we talk about that in just a second? Let me, Let me drill down on something here. I want to make sure that people understand that based on what Red Flag's law would provide, any relative, friend, a neighbor, a police officer, or a judge could decide to just take away your gun because they're concerned about you or they're worried or you've had some, you said something. I'm not sure. And you know, Nikki, coming in the heels of having just gone through COVID where really I feel like we turned into, a, we morphed into the society where people tattle on each other, watch to see if you have a mask on, uh, if you're you know compliant, if you say the wrong things. It is not a leap by any measure to think that any category of those persons uh, could tattle on you, could report something false, could twist or misunderstand, uh, and have your ability to, to defend yourself taken away because of their opinion without the ability to fight back. I just want to press down on that because I think that's very important. You also made it clear that uh, a hearing is very expensive, and so you would have to hire an attorney. It usually costs around $10,000, and most people just can't. Most average people just can't do that, and so they just give in because there are some red flag laws in place already. So uh, let's go to the mental health yeah. thing, though, because that's what we've got—you know—raging in the streets right now, like in Uvalde. This guy was carrying around bags of dead cats. He gave plenty of signals that he was sick, and this is uh, seems to be the, yeah. the case with so many of these shooters. So, what is on the law to stop that, Nikki? It has
7: always been possible to take a dangerous person's guns away all 50 states have involuntary commitment laws and they go by various names like in florida there's the baker act they didn't even need red flag laws in florida i don't know why they did it they have the baker act in california it's called the 5150 code they all require a mental health expert to evaluate the person and then they will testify before a judge and the hearings can occur quickly in urgent cases and you know if if those facing a hearing can't afford a lawyer the judge provides them with one that's not the case with red flag laws and judges have a lot of flexibility when ruling you know if if the person on trial does not agree to voluntary psychiatric treatment then you know they might be committed involuntarily or have their guns taken or you know what? The judge could say, there's nothing wrong with you. This is a false accusation. Go home. And you can keep your guns, by the way.
1: And you are saying that those laws, the ones that give you recourse, a chance to have a hearing, a chance to defend yourself, are on the books. Uh, but with the red flag laws, would prevent that kind of defense. I want to read a paragraph from your article. By the way, it's at Real Clear Politics. Uh, And it's called Red Flag Laws and Unintended Consequences. And we will put that on our uh, getter page, by the way, so you can see it also. This paragraph says, A person intent on violence may not even need a gun to inflict mass carnage. Are we going also to take away cars? Gun control advocates find it much easier to conjure up new laws without protections than to fine-tune laws already on the books. They find that time, the times of national grieving present an opportunity to push new measures through Congress. Just say a word about that, Nikki.
7: Yeah, you know, I think that, unfortunately, these tragedies, when they occur, um, people with an agenda hop right on it. They hop right on it. And, unfortunately, it seems like it's the good law-abiding people that end up having their constitutional rights stripped away from them when these law-abiding people did nothing wrong. Um, It's very concerning, and I really hope that people will think and think again about this. Look, you would think someone like me would support red flag laws, but I don't. You know, I had a stalker, he's violent, he murdered my husband right in front of me. Um, I believe in due process. Due process is absolutely vital. and I don't ever want to see due process taken away from American citizens.
1: You know, going back to your particular scenario, um, you said you said just a few minutes ago that after your husband was killed in front of you and a lot of the nights, you know, you were very depressed and wanting to, I don't know if you wanted to kill yourself. There's a difference in wanting to be dead and wanting to kill yourself, but some people might twist that into attempted suicide But you make the claim in this article that red flag laws could actually increase instances of suicide. Can you explain that, please?
7: Sure. If you make people, especially a victim of a violent crime who's been through something extremely traumatic, um, if you make it so they are absolutely helpless and vulnerable and they don't feel safe, uh, you could make things a lot worse for them. You know part of my ability to heal and get back out in public and society was just knowing that I had the ability to protect myself you know that that was that was a way for me to feel safe and if you strip that away from people you're going to make things a lot worse on them, and I think people that would be targeted would be. And the example I gave, victims of violent crime, uh, police officers, you know, think about all of the traumatic things that police uh, see and experience. You know, we don't want to make it so that police feel like they can't talk to people about depression. You know, I'm sure it, it, if you come on to a, a horrible car crash and you see little children dead and mangled i'm sure it's, it's going to make you depressed but you got to be able to talk about that with people it's part of the healing process and, and if you feel like you can't because you're afraid that somebody could go and report you under a red flag law and you could lose your gun and if you're a police officer guess what you lose your job if you lose your gun then you're going to bottle that stuff up and that's not healthy
1: you know, the other scenario of this is when you go for medical care now, they ask you to fill out these really invasive s- surveys. They want to know if you've been depressed, if you've ever been depressed, what's your mental state, if you've done this. And uh, we shouldn't think for a minute that that information would not be turned over and used uh, improperly by some authorities. It used to be that our you know, medical providers had our well-being in mind, but some of them are not, no longer fall in that camp. They have political uh, views that um, they ask you if you uh, you know ho- have a gun in your home. They have a bias, and so we are very much at risk with these red flag laws. And if you This is a great article. It's a great way to make the argument against them. And your congressmen are going to be having to face these laws, and they're going to have to explain, you know, after this horrible shooting in Uvalde, it's all so emotional. You know, you mean you wouldn't stop this? You wouldn't pass a red flag law? That's what's going to be coming at them. So they need to be armed. Maybe you want to send this to your congressman. Send it to your senator. But send it to your friends, because public opinion matters on this. Again, it's Red Flag Laws and Unintended Consequences, written by Nikki Gosar and also... Uh, by uh, Thomas Massey, the congressman. He's going to join us next week, by the way, from Kentucky. Uh, and it's um, from the Crime Prevention Research Center. By the way, their uh, website is crimeresearch.org, crimeresearch.org. Nikki Gosart, it's nice to meet you uh, on the, by, on the, over the air. and look forward to meeting you in, the per, in person. Thanks for joining us this morning. Sandy Rios in the morning.
5: Hi, I'm Mark Harrington, founder of the pro-life group Created Equal and host of Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show. Created Equal is all about saving the lives of unborn children. Each week, I cover the latest pro-life news and feature interviews with unsung heroes from across the nation who are making a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice. Join me every Sunday afternoon at 5.30 for The Mark Harrington Show here on American Family Radio and discover how you, too, can help protect the lives of the most innocent among us.
0: What does the American Family Association stand for? We believe true morality flows from biblical principles and directs people to the manner in which God intends them to live. These values and more are part of our mission to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. We want to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training for cultural transformation. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. And I will make boys their princes, and infants shall
8: rule over them. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. According to an audit tool provided by the software company SparkToro, Toro, it is found 49.3% of the 22.4 million followers of Mr. Robinette's official at POTUS Twitter account are fake bot accounts. The information was unearthed due to Elon Musk's due diligence query following his bid to buy Twitter. So the man who got over 81 million votes in the 2020 presidential election, the most popular presidential candidate in American history, can't even get 15 million Twitter followers? Right. Prior to being banned from Twitter, I'm pretty sure former President Trump had over 60 million people following him there. Ain't that something?
0: Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. We seem to have dodged a bullet last week at the World Health Assembly. No, it wasn't the 9mm kind President Biden wants to restrict. Rather, it was one Team Biden aimed at our sovereignty via proposals to let a proxy for the Chinese Communist Party dictate what constitute public health emergencies of international concern and what we'll do about them. Unfortunately, world government types are sure to resurface this gambit in the future. Worse yet, the Global Resetters simultaneously meeting in Davos unveiled two new digital mechanisms for imposing their totalitarian ambitions. As a courageous freedom fighter named Dr. Naomi Wolf has warned for over two years, such vaccine passports will inevitably usher in what the CCP calls a social credit system. Her brilliant new book, The Bodies of Others, is an instant bestseller and required reading for American patriots. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio.
2: Today we got a lot of great information that was frankly shocking to me as well as Donald Trump's attorney, but will be incredibly helpful to our case. Um, we heard testimony from Baker yesterday from Elias, who completed his testimony, and basically everybody is finger-pointing, which is exactly what you would suspect. Um, Mr. Baker admitted that he is a friend of... Uh, Michael Sussman that he got a text message where Michael Sussman said hey I'm coming to the FBI I need a meeting it's very urgent the urgency by the way was that it was October and the election was in November but I need to come speak to you not on behalf of my clients or anyone else for me as a good citizen remember they're friends he knew he worked for the DNC he knew he also happened to be Hillary Clinton's campaign general counsel never mind that he has a meeting no agents goes ahead, sits down with him, doesn't report it, gets documents, which were drafted by Sussman, hands them over to Peter Strzok. And I'll remind you, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page. They're the lovers that were talking about colluding to get Trump out. And there was no way they were going to get him elected. What's worse is today, Sean, we heard the most disturbing part, which is that. When the FBI general counsel, Baker, finishes his term at the FBI, has to resign because he's under investigation from the Durham uh, probe. He goes in and says, I need a job, goes to Sussman and tries to get a job at Perkins Coie, doesn't get it, then goes to where he is now, Twitter. That was Alina Haba.
1: she's one of the attorneys for President Trump, just commenting just about there's so many observations about the Sussman trial and again, let me emphasize to you that this is not just about Michael Sussman. Uh, he is like he was accused of lying to the FBI, which he did, according to all sources. Uh, Durham's attorneys absolutely presented unequivocal evidence that he lied to the FBI, uh, but that the jury pool was so tainted. And so you know, so pro Hillary Clinton and so pro Obama and fill in the blanks, and they didn't care. Uh, so and the the judge, of course, was an Obama appointee, uh, who was acquainted with Sussman, uh, whose wife uh, was representing you know Lisa Page. You just heard her mention the attorney, the uh, uh, the FBI attorney who was having an affair with Peter Strzok. Are you following this? We need uh, like a flow chart. Uh, it the whole thing just because it translates to equal whatever all of that is. It's equal rigged, completely rigged. So you got Michael Sussman, who was working for Hillary Clinton's campaign in the fall, a month before the election, coming to the FBI saying he's just a concerned citizen. He says that in a text uh, to Jim Baker, uh, the uh, the, uh, chief counsel at the FBI. Who knew? Trust me. Who knew all about this? This was a complete collusion. And by the way... Could I just make the point that this was an attempted coup? This, ladies and gentlemen, was an insurrection. This was an insurrection. And yet, as you can see from what happened with Sussman, they will never be brought to justice, not right now, not in the immediate future. But the thing that John Durham has done for us is he's got the record on the books of what actually happened. To anyone who has an ear to listen, who really has an ear for truth, it's there. The records are there. Let the records show that Hillary Clinton masterminded the destruction of, um, uh, yes. What's his name? President Trump's uh, presidency tried to stop him from being elected because of course she wanted to be elected. And this miss a uh, communist from another land who's been here for, she's not from another land. She's from Chicago, park Ridge. I should know. I'm just being metaphorical, but, um, She is from another world from my perspective. I don't know how two girls who grew up in Illinois uh, came out so differently as me and Hillary Clinton, but it happened. Uh, She has become an enemy of this country in every way, just wicked in every way. Uh, So she masterminded this, and I guess the amazing thing is that people went along with it. The FBI went along with it. They were all in. They were fine with it. And to make this more damning, if it's possible, for the FBI and the collusion— of the FBI, with uh, Perkins Coy, with uh, the Justice Department. It's all one big happy family. They pick their juries, and everybody gets off scot-free. That's what keeps happening. Matt Gates was on with Tucker Carlson last night, and this was a story that I had not heard. I'm not sure anyone else had heard before it was broken last night. Well, except for some insiders like Matt Gates and Jim Jordan. But uh, listen to this, clip four.
3: We got a report from a whistleblower that we confirmed through multiple admissions, including this letter, showing that the Democrat Party's law firm the law firm that received $42 million from the Democratic Party has this co-located workspace that they operate in concert with the FBI. Why in the world would that be the case? Why would Christopher Ray allow it to continue? Then you also have to ask yourself why within the last 12 months was the person on behalf of Perkins Coy operating that, that worksite, Michael Sussman himself? And we heard through this trial that you just referenced that the FBI believed Michael Sussman was lying to them in 2017 when he was shuttling false information about Trump into the intelligence process. And now we learned for four years after that lie, Michael Sussman was in fact operating this secure work environment. So what reason would there be for that? And what leverage would the Perkins law firm have over the FBI, given this work they're doing together? I have spoken to former federal prosecutors on the Judiciary Committee and throughout the country, and I have not heard any describe a relationship like this with a private law firm, and especially because Michael Sussman was an election lawyer. Why in the world would an election lawyer be operating this facility in this way? And our concern is that politically motivated dirt was being converted into politically motivated investigations. That's why Jim Jordan and I are making demands for answers on Christopher Ray immediately, and it's, it's my hope, certainly, that we shut this facility down. The Democratic Party shouldn't have this special access, special portal to the FBI, especially knowing what we do now, that they were often trying to take this opposition research and then use that for law enforcement and counterintelligence purposes.
1: All right, Matt, as always, does a great job of explaining, but let me let me drill down further if I can. So Perkins Coy is the law firm. Look, in, in D.C., there's uh, law firms that represent Republicans or conservatives. Cleta Mitchell was part of the largest one in D.C. before she got uh, asked to leave because of her involvement in January 6th, <laughs> because the Republicans have no courage. The Democrats are, you know, I can't think of a nice word. Let's just say they're bold. And so Perkins Coy is their law firm, all right? Uh, Perkins Coy is the law firm that hired Fusion GPS. Fusion GPS is that opposition research company that got a hold of, created, it turns out, that Russian dossier. So Perkins Coy hires Fusion GPS. They're all joined at the hip. And then they uh, Perkins Coy, of course, represents the DNC. And during the Clinton email server fiasco, which is more than a fiasco. It means that a sitting Secretary of State was allowing her email to be accessed by foreign powers, and they were. But of course, we got over that because Jim Comey helped and others helped. And and then Mrs. Clinton herself created this lie about President Trump being involved with the Russians. It's so silly. Why didn't we have a laugh track? But we, you know, the news media kept telling us it was true. And so as uh, Marx said, you tell a lie often enough, and people will believe it. And so that, and so it was, Russian collusion, President Trump, and it all came from Hillary Clinton to so that she could win the campaign and um, destroy his presidency when she didn't. So Perkins Coy is this law firm representing the Democrats? No, no. In the midst of this law firm, right there, what's all Democrats working for? Democrats working to get Hillary Clinton con- uh, connected, working to destroy Donald Trump shows up this FBI station like a little place there where they have access to FBI files, FBI records, they have direct access to the FBI. And the person running it is the guy who's the Clinton campaign attorney, John or Michael Sussman. He's the one that's manning the FBI station. <laughs> this is just bizarre. This is bizarre. And I would say that... Um, you know, uh, well, Conservative Treehouse, he has a different name. He goes under by Sundance also, is pointing out uh, that this portal gave uh, uh, access to FBI databases. And he talks about how many uh, breaches of FBI databases, which is top secret information on American people. It's, it's uh, like a little dossier on every, almost every single one of us uh and the there were some there were huge abuses of that beginning in twenty twelve and that's when this uh little workstation in uh at Perkins Coy law firm showed up twenty twelve and so suddenly there are all these American people that are being surveilled by somebody, and they're not necessarily f b i people and Michael Sussman is the one in charge of that station, so what do you think they did with that, and how illegal do you think that is and how do you think that Christopher Ray plays into this who you know knew all about it and didn't stop it. This is horrific. It really is. You're going to hear more about that story because um, Jim Jordan and Matt Gates are not going to let go of that. But that just shows you how corrupt this is. So um, just a few things. I w- just There are some great uh, observations from some people that I, I really like and I, I, I trust their judgment. This is from uh, Just the News, um, and they point out that, uh, let's see, One thing that we saw in that trial is that we found out, as the evidence unloaded, uh, the Durham prosecution team introduced an FBI communication that indicated that the FBI itself was misleading the agents who were charged with conducting the Alpha Bank investigation by saying to those agents that the information they were handing them, meaning the bosses, came from the Department of Justice But it didn't. It came from Michael Sussman, who was the attorney for Mrs. Clinton's campaign. But the FBI people in charge, the bosses, did not bother to tell the agents who were working on the case. So the FBI agents actually testified to that. Um... So the, I don't see who's Brock, I'm not sure who this name is, but the person is speaking says we can only read into that, that there were efforts at FBI headquarters to conceal, uh, conceal that from the investigators so that they wouldn't ask the questions and maybe conduct a less complete investigation because they're thinking this information came from a political campaign. There's a hidden agenda there. So I think that that piece of information was certainly something that the jury took into consideration. Now he's morphing to this that they think it's possible that the jury did not take this allegation that Michael Sussman lied to the FBI seriously because it sounds as though in the trial it came out that the FBI bosses lied to their agents about the source of this information about the Alpha Bank, which was completely false. Trump and his family had no connection with the Alpha Bank. The dossier was completely false, completely made up conjured up. You're going to hear about more of that. Uh, uh, That's the next phase of Durham's investigation. So um, this is, uh, I wish I could think of who this Brock person is, but I have to look at the article. It's it's someone who is testifying. And he says, I don't think uh, Durham is going to lose any sleep over the fact that Michael Sussman has been acquitted. The trial afforded him, Durham, an opportunity to paint a picture about an effort by the Clinton campaign to spread Disinformation on two tracks the Alpha Bank narrative and the Steele dossier, and that was intentional. Next up will be Danchenko's trial. He's the one who was tasked with uh, compiling that dossier, and that will be interesting. But a more perspective here just indulge me for a second. This is from Stephen Miller, who was, of course, uh, chief advisor to President Trump. He said, It is an existential threat to justice and the rule of law in America that trials. Of national political import are held in a city whose partisan juries will jail any innocent Republican and free any guilty Democrat. And that leads me to the next. Um, by the way, we've been talking with more of the J- January 6th defendants in the jail. That's going to air on Friday. And I'm going to update you on uh, their plight uh, more on Friday. So I hope that you'll stay tuned for that. But that kind of puts this in perspective. This is a tweet by someone who calls himself Election Wizard. Calling the J6 defendants political prisoners is not not hyperbola after the Sussman verdict. The J6 political prisoners have no hope of a fair trial. They will be lynched by the federal judiciary. Um, Anything can happen that isn't necessarily true. Humanly speaking, it makes a great deal of sense. Uh, Mike Chernovitz tweets, The judge in the Sussman case is now set for life. No one hands bags of cash like in the movies, but spouses will get more clients. Kids will get in any schools they want. That's how real world works in D.C. Nothing vulgar, just lots of behind-the-scenes wishes granted. And Jesse Kelly says, Just remember, every new public example of our two-tier justice system includes us closer to something terrible in this country. There's a shelf life on corrupt system like ours. All right. Well, that's the perspective I hope that I've given you on the Sussman trial. We'll be back tomorrow for more. Sandy Rios in the morning. have
0: The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family
6: Radio.